Hello and welcome to A Beautiful Faith, where we give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. And I am joined once again by Henry Johnson, the Henry Johnson, the one and only Henry Johnson. There may be other Henry Johnsons out there, but he is my one and only Henry Johnson. Uh, I have no Aww. other Henry Johnsons in my life. Um, and with that, everyone's tired of hearing your name. Hi, Henry Johnson. How are you? Hi, Ryan Becker. You might as well give me a new nickname if they don't want Henry Johnson. Thanks to the COVID crisis and certain things not being considered essential businesses, I'm now could be called Sir Bumsalot, defender of the COVID land, because <laughs> I have a shaggy mane on my head. Yeah, see, it's weird for me because technically my my you know my place isn't necessarily an essential business for what I'm doing, but at the same time it is. Um, but it's not essential that I be at work so I can work at home. Essentially, I am an essential worker for my business, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my business is an essential business place to right. some well, I'm working at home. I'm working at home too, but apparently hair salons are not an essential business. Uh, yeah, well, see, I'm fine because I can just, if my hair gets long, I can just let it curl up and I'm good. I don't have to do anything really and I can, and it's fine. It Actually, what's funny is I, I actually did let it kind of curl up and wave up the other night and my housemate looked at me and went, did you get a haircut? I was like, no. I did not get a haircut. I literally can't go get a haircut right now. There's nowhere for me to go do that. Uh, but you could go to Georgia and get a tattoo. That's facts. I definitely could. Am I going to do that? No, but I could. Oh, and that's, but you could have put Henry Johnson against, you know, right up there on your bicep. Yeah, that that would go real well. No, Henry would be on my left <laughs> bicep and Johnson would be on my right. Um, there you go. No, I... Uh, first of all, I just want to say I am glad that both of us are alive uh, and well. Uh, and I know that seems weird, um, but also, no, neither of us, you know, almost died of COVID-19, but uh, we both did have terrible storms pass over uh, where we live, um, and uh, both had, I had a tornado within about a mile, uh, either a little over or a little under a mile from my house, uh, with damage all around, but not, like, none of the houses near me were damaged, just a lot of downed trees and branches and stuff like that, but I have friends who lost everything, I have friends who lost um, uh, you know, um, just parts of their house, uh, or things like that. I'm, uh, grateful that no one I know has passed away, but that doesn't, I mean, several have, um, which is sad, but, um, and Henry, you guys just got hit recently, like more recent than, than we did, uh, in Chattanooga. So I'm glad that you're doing all right as well. Yeah. We had four tornadoes in the span of about an hour Jeez. all in the in the Charlotte metro area. There was a line of storms, just one right after another, following one of the interstates. And uh, in fact, you'd be interested in one of them hit near, actually one of the worst ones apparently hit right down where you used to pastor, down in the Rock oh, Hill area. fantastic. That's that... To the, to the south there, so... That's not great at all. I uh, I like Rock Hill. Like, I, I enjoy Rock Hill. I enjoyed living there in general. Like, it's a really cool place. Um... Uh, lived well. I didn't think yeah. you were going to be rejoicing about it. I wasn't sharing that. No, fact it's just, like, it's yes, just, no, but hit, it is like, know? all right, cool. Well, that, I mean, that, that, like, it, I get it. I get why you'd share that. It's a, it's a point of reference for me, and I appreciate that. Um, yes. I love Charlotte, which in is general. crazy because this is, this is the second storm we've had already this year, a massive storm dropping tornadoes. The last one was back in February. Yeah. You know, we've just only now hit spring officially. And we've already had two major summer storms come through. Yep. And it's likely going to continue like this through May, um, I would assume. Um, I, I I don't see how it wouldn't. Uh, I think April, May or uh, the, the storm, the storm times uh, for places like this 
And then don't worry, hurricane season, it's on its way for my friends in Florida um, and my family in Florida. So, you know. Oh, yes. And it's supposed to be an active one this year. So as compared know. to what inactive years for. Yeah. What what inactive year. Jeez. Yeah. Um, what's what's wild is my. All the years of living through hurricanes have made me overly calm in times where I should probably be at least slightly stressed out. Like when that tornado came, I didn't really know or believe that it it was that close. I didn't know that a tornado had actually landed. Uh, the notification came through on my phone that a tornado had been sighted after the tornado was gone, apparently. Um, but I was just chilling in my room. Like we had, my housemate and I had backpacks packed up with like a change of clothes and a couple like little things that we we would want to make sure we had with us. Um, but, um, and like I had my dog in her harness and everything, like we were ready to move if we needed to, but we spent the entire storm just chilling in my room instead of, you know, taking shelter. Uh, <laughs> so, and that yeah, was, see, part- I was in the hallway of my house with my, my cat and a little carrier and wearing a military helmet on my head. And nope, I was just chilling know, was in like, my bed, go. reading a book. Because I, or well, no, actually I was on my cell phone. Um, Going out with style. And using my video lighting gear as a light, as a, as a night light uh, for my housemate and I. We were just chilling, hanging out, having a... Get some good film of you going I mean, bye-bye. we were a little nervous and everything, but I didn't, I guess I didn't, the severity of what was happening around us really didn't hit because I've sat through so many bad storms. Um, it, it was just, um, yeah, like definitely there's something that felt different about this, but not, it, it, either I just ignored my inhibition um, or I just am I'm, I'm jaded to bad storms. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm very... Most storms don't bug me. I'm very paranoid to tornadoes just because I've seen some really nasty ones growing up. Where we where we were in Georgia, we, we got several of them. It was like every other year, there'd usually be one nearby. And then I had family out in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area, mm. and we happened to be visiting them in 1998 when the F5 went through. And for those of you who don't know... The, F5 means refresh what, on Google Chrome. Yeah, well, unlike Google Chrome, this is even more of a disaster. This is the Fukushima scale of, mm. of strength or whatever on a storm. And that was one of the eeriest things I've ever seen in, in my life because the, the sirens went off. It was like in the evening and they told us we had to go to their like root cellar outside the house. And when we went outside... And there's some miles, I'm not going to say where specifically, but they're, you know, they're a good 20 minutes out of Tulsa. Yeah. So away from it. And we looked back towards Tulsa and the tornado was so wide, right? That you could only tell where the sides were because of the green in the sky. And then you saw the flashes of the transformers going. Yeah. And there was like a wheat field behind their house. And the thing was nearly parallel to the ground shaking because that storm was sucking in air from that far away to feed itself. Wow. And after after having seen that, I'm like, yeah, tornadoes are no joke. Yeah, no kidding. Jeez. Um, the tornadoes are, I mean, I'm the problem with tornadoes is they're so unpredictable. Like with a hurricane, I always had like a week to prepare. You know what I mean? Uh, and then with a tornado, it's like, oh, this is a bad storm. Oh, never mind. It's a tornado now. Like there's no, it, it's just a very quick shift in gears. Speaking of right, and unless you see it, you know it's it's really hard. Yeah, to, it was like one a.m. to judge what it's doing. We had no, there's well, no, and even like storm tracks now, they don't even know officially if something's hitting. Like in these night storms, they have to look for rotation in the, you know, in the storm, and then they don't know for sure if that's produced a funnel or not. Yep. Yeah, it's it's a whole mess. They have to they have to issue an alert for every single one. Well, but just like you've been enthusiastic 
for you know preparing for hurricanes, then maybe we should talk about being enthusiastic for things that also could blow people off their feet if you do them wrong and cause a wake of devastation in their path or make people think you're totally unpredictable. Let's talk about... Finish my segue I tried to steal from yeah, you. Yeah, you 100% stole the segue from me. <laughs> what? I'm sitting here like, what just happened? I was... I, you got... It, it was like a whirlwind. You interrupted my segue, finished your thought, and then did an entirely new segue. The gall. <laughs> that was amazing. I respect you for it for some reason. Uh, oh, man. And you, th- that's like, I didn't know if you knew that you were stealing it from me, but then the very end of what you said that I tried to steal from you, that's when I knew all of this was intentional. Oh, I knew. Well done, sir. I, well I knew. I respect it. Um, so what are we talking about? No, we are res- we are talking about responsible enthusi- enthusiasm when it comes to faith, and uh, that sa- that sounds like we're talking about religious fanaticism. Uh, not necessarily. We are not talking about re- religious fanaticism. We're not talking about like uh, you know Hillsboro Baptist Church or you know uh, anything like that. We're we're not talking about uh, Christians that are just like um, that are that are almost cult-like in their um, in their denominational affiliation or religious affiliation. What we're talking about necessarily is um, the moment of time where you've had a, uh, or that, that spans that expanse of time where you've had a religious conversion experience or strong spiritual experience, regardless of your conversion level, right? Regardless of whether you've been a Christian for years or whether you're a brand new Christian. Um, and once you've had that experience, you you get really excited about it, right? You get really enthusiastic about it. You get, um, you want to tell all of your friends, you want to go back and tell perhaps your church members, you want someone to share all of this with. And, uh, you know, many times it kind of feels like the wool has been pulled out from under you or, you know, from over your eyes. You can see clearly now that the rain is gone. Uh, you I was can. just thinking about that gotcha. song. Uh, my turn to steal. I can see clearly now yes. that the puns are here. So the, uh, but yeah. So what happens a lot of the time is when people have those experiences, and they have what is a very genuine and I think warranted excitement about what they've experienced. Uh, sometimes we can go overboard with how we um, then bring that back and share that experience with our communities. Now, I want to be, you know, as, as, as we start talking about this, I do want to be clear in saying that uh, just because a community refuses, or whether that's your friends, family, church members, whatever, refuses to um, accept your, your experience, right? Whether they reject it or not, we're not saying that it's your fault. Sometimes I think communities do reject things because they feel threatened or because they don't... Um, you know, they don't understand or the, like the problem is them. So what I don't want to do today is say, uh, you know, you are responsible a hundred percent of the time when someone doesn't react positively to your conversion or faith experience. I don't want anyone to walk away with that thought. Um, unless Henry does, in which case you're fired, Henry. Um, no, the, <laughs> no, uh, he doesn't. I, I don't think he does anyway. Um, but no, no, I, I, that's what I, that's what I mean. I think there is a, there's a difference between, you know, looking at your own experience and trying to think of how you can be the most responsible with your enthusiasm and where you place it and how you share it um, without 
um, without doing so in a way that just casts all the blame on you. We're not trying to gaslight anyone here. I think this is just really important for us to talk about because there are certain things that you can control, even if it's, you know, not other people. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, Henry, you want to kind of give us a little bit more on this as we jump into it? Well, yeah. So when it talks about responsible enthusiasm in this, like, we want, like he was saying, we're not trying to gaslight anyone. We want everyone to know that it's natural for you to want to, to want others to share in your excitement and enthusiasm. There's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's, in fact, we would be worried if you had no absolute interest in sharing or having enthusiasm or any such thing. Um, but what we're talking about is that conversion excitement can tend to, if unchecked, lead to confrontation exhaustion. Right. And that and that's what we're trying to talk about. How do you mitigate that? How do you how do you work through that? Because confrontation is going to come in some way, shape, or form. Not all confrontation is bad, but confrontation or or some sort of awkward situation is going to come when others do not share your newfound excitement or enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Period. That's not a judgment on your enthusiasm or excitement, but you can't expect everybody is going to share it to the same way. Yeah. So that and that's and that's where conflict comes in, and that's usually a hiccup on the reconstructive journey. Yep, absolutely. And I think like all of us have that desire to share our experiences with someone else. Like that that is that is very real, and want others to experience the great joy of whatever we've experienced or anything like that. Like, uh, and we see this outside of faith all the time. Um, I would say in a negative way, the most, you know, the most, uh, place that we, the most common place we see this is when someone buys into a pyramid scheme, um, or when someone buy, or, you know, when someone gets on some new fad or new phase, um, you know, some new show, anything like that. Um, it's when, uh, confrontation exhaustion kind of feels the best way to explain it in a way that all of us have experienced it for the most part. If you have social media is basically what happened when everyone loved game of thrones. When everyone loved Game of Thrones, all you saw on social media ever was Game of Thrones nonstop until season eight when it all went downhill because the writers are terrible at writing endings uh, and everyone now hates that show and won't talk about it anymore. But like that's that's the idea of confrontation um, exhaustion is you're just tired of like you as someone who is being um, being confronted with this like you get it you are tired of seeing it you it makes you angry it makes you annoyed it makes you frustrated uh this happens especially with with uh friends who start doing um who start doing uh pyramid schemes and i'm not going to lump these completely into the same boat however um you know my mom got into this years ago and now i see a lot of friends getting into this uh but uh and i'm going to make some enemies right now but essential oil um <laughs> I am so tired. This is just me, my personal soapbox now. I'm just tired of seeing stuff about essential oils uh, being these magical cure-all things. That, that's not slick. Um, thank you. Um, I appreciate I appreciate your pun there. Um, but no, no. I, I, so there's this. There's a genuine desire to share, and I don't think that desire itself is bad. I think what how we utilize, how we express that desire, how we utilize it, uh, and how we put it into practice. That's what. Um, that's what really matters. And so what we want to do is is we want to say we want to talk about this. And I think the general principles can be talked about from a non-faith perspective or can apply to a non-faith perspective. Uh, and there's a lot of overlap here. So we hope and I hope that this is something that is actually beneficial to you um, 
and perhaps it can be unlike essential oils. Correct. Uh, well, I mean, I hope that they're beneficial to people as well. I just don't think they're as beneficial as they are touted to be. Um, I, yeah, I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that this can be something uh, positive for people and maybe something that can help you catch a breath and take a moment when you've experienced something amazing and give you a chance for some uh, self-reflection and, uh, you know, an intentional plan moving forward for what you will do with that experience. Um, so yeah, uh, let's, let's dive straight into confrontation. The, the, what happens when you are, uh, when you are actually now sharing your experience with, uh, with someone else. Um, so, uh, Henry, you want to take us through the, the first one that you've, that you've put down here? Yes, because in my mind, there's about four different kind of reactions that we will face when our enthusiasm hits the wall of someone else not as enthusiastic in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the first is you will start sharing, especially like a faith conversion, or you believe something new in your faith, or have switched faith communities, or whatever, and you'll tell somebody, and p- those people that you tell will want you to go back to how you were. Mm. Right, you'll share it on there, like, dude, it's weird. Why can't you just be normal? Why can't you come on? That's not you. Just be yourself, or whatever. They'll say something along those lines. And when people do that, no matter how they present it, they could present it very nicely. But when they do that, it can come across to the one sharing as if they are rejecting your present experience. Yep, absolutely. All right, and that's going to lead to confrontation. If you wonder why you get agitated when someone's just not seeming to get on board with it, and they say, "Well, just be yourself," it's almost like they're like, you know, sucks. Get, get over it. Yeah. I, I actually see this one a lot. I see this every single year uh, because I do a lot of work with uh, high school students within the Seventh-day Adventist uh, private school system. And the one event that I love doing every year is called Prayer Conference. And it tends to be a very, very, um, very faith, you know, uh, transforming and evolving experience for a lot of students. They, they, get, um, they get really excited about their faith. They get really excited about... Um, their life, they have this new change, or they've started to make changes over uh, over their time at prayer conference. It's a four day experience where they where students will be a part of a small group with other with students from other schools uh, within our southeast region of the U.S. of the United States. And while they're um, while they're there, they usually you know end up opening up to students or getting students to open up to them, and it becomes this this huge community building time. For a lot of students, they experience acceptance, they experience all these different things for the first time. So they come back from this event and they go back to their school and they want to do some of the things that they learned and did at prayer conference back at their school. They want to replicate the experience that they had and they want to take that back to their school because it was such a great thing. The problem is for their friends who did not go to that event... And if they've made some big life change or started to make life decisions, uh, then their friends will very, very often fully resist whatever this change has been, or they'll fully reject it outright or dismiss it in saying like, you're just, you know, you just went to this, whatever, uh, you're not, you know, this isn't real. This isn't who you are. Um, you know, you just need to relax. Um, no, that's not going to happen. Whatever. Like that, that tends to be how this, how this happens is, um, this one tends to be tends to come from your closest friends, the people closest to you. Mm. That's when this that that's when this tends to like the people. I I won't say. Mm, I should I should adjust that slightly. 
because there's 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 the argument that your closest friends would be accepting of this. But really what I mean, I think out of this is the people who you spend like the most time with and, you know, the most really those who would be most familiar. Yeah, exactly. Most familiar. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're your best quality or highest quality friends, but they're the people that you spend the most time with, that you hang out with, that you do stuff with. And they start to see this, these changes when you start saying, yeah, that thing we used to do, I don't want to do it anymore. And that's when they say, come on, yeah. what, like, what are you just, you've become a goody two shoes now, right? That's, I haven't heard that one in a while. I'm sorry. That was a, that's a dated phrase now, but, uh, yeah, that like that, that's a normal one for this. Yeah. And that kind of segues into the, the next one, because they, a lot of these can have some overlap and that's others that might be somewhat fine with our change. Like, yeah, you do whatever you're going to do. You do you, whatever but they don't want to follow along with you in changing their own situations, which then seems to be possibly a rejection of fellowship. Yep. Um, right. Because if you're not doing certain things anymore, but they still are, well, then you're not hanging out that way. And then you do new stuff that probably doesn't interest them potentially. And then they don't want to hang out anymore. And so it, it feels like not that either one of you is making a conscious effort to be like, yeah, we're done with each other, but it's like the, the fellowship has a strain put yep. on it. Your interest, and as your interests naturally now start to differ, uh, those friendships suffer. And usually what ends up happening is the question of, was that friendship or was that fellowship ever real to begin with? This, that question tends to come from uh, teenagers more often than, you know, adults. But I, I do think it happens with adults too, was, you know, was this friendship all, you know, all based on us doing this thing together? And I don't, and, yeah. and, and. The community is accepting until it isn't. Exactly. Um, and so does that, and, and, and I do want to say this, is the, maybe this is, maybe this is a tangent, but I do, I think it's worth asking at this point, if the community does reject this, like, right, if they reject the fellowship or the present experience or any of the others we're about to, to, to talk about, uh, does that negate the reality of the community experience you had up until now? In other words, does that, does that mean that your community was never real? Those friendships weren't as real um, or genuine now that you're not doing the things with them that you used to do. No. And I, and I just, the reason I asked that is I just wanted us to say that ad, right? Um, because there's someone that would ask yeah, that. I mean, like that's a, that's a natural thing to ask when you, suddenly you start losing the people you were hanging out with before. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the validity. This is kind of like, we might have talked about this some with conversion experiences, I'm not sure, but if, if we didn't, it's a good time to, to rehash it. Just because you've made another, I don't want to say necessarily evolutionary step, but just because you've moved into a new place where others may not be yet ready to follow or they can't follow or, or whatever, that doesn't mean that they weren't beneficial, good, real, and, and great in that particular plane or time frame of existence. Correct. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it, it is often true. I mean, how many of us have had friendships that they, they, they held us through uncertain times of our life and then grew apart or circumstances or whatever. And you look back on it and go, yeah, they were good. For, that's just the friend I needed then. Not, not that you're using people, but now you'd be like, we wouldn't, it wouldn't work now, or that wouldn't be beneficial to me. And not that you, should hopefully go through life judging what do I get out of everything as to why you would be a friend or do something or not. Uh, I'm not trying to mean this in a sort of self-centered way, but I'm, I'm just saying there's different... They might have been just great for who you were then. Yep. And who you were now, it's just kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a maturity thing. Yeah. 
It's not a judgment call on someone else because they haven't finished that journey yet. But I, I would just say don't don't immediately throw the baby out with the bathwater. To use another dated phrase, we're doing well today. Um, uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing really well. But I, I, I'm just saying that that experience was still valid because after all, if you hadn't had that experience, it probably I guarantee you would not have led to whatever things happen to bring you to the new revelation, the new part of your reconstructive journey. Yep. These are all building blocks. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, um, let's keep talking then. Um, I think the, the third one is um, uh, because of, uh, because of the community that you're going back to, right? Because of their own experiences or even their own uh, belief system or value system, uh, they, they may doubt or call into question your own, uh, your own excitement or your own experience. In other words, they 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 would say that there's you've been deceived by this. You didn't think this through enough. You didn't consider this enough. Uh, which which feels like, um, and I love the way you've worded this, a rejection of our intelligence. Um, yeah, that is, um, that is huge. A, a rejection of our intelligence. It, it 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 feels very often. It feels like they're calling us dumb, right? No one. No one. I don't know of any Christian when when they talk about within Seventh Day Adventism. We, Adventism. Uh, we talk a lot about people being deceived in the end time, in 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 the the final days of Earth's history before Jesus returns. I don't know how much this is talked about outside of our denomination. I'm going to be honest. I don't know to what I, I, emphasis. I don't. I don't remember it a lot. Yeah. It, at least in Southern Baptist Convention. But yeah, we we tend to. Unfortunately, this is some in-house talk picking on ourselves. We tend to be more in line in our eschatology, which is a fancy word for just our theological understanding of end days or the re- resolution of whatever yeah. you know problem is going on in our theologies. We tend to be lumped in more with things that would be considered cultish, like Jehovah's Witnesses mm-hmm. and 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 you know things like that, where there is a lot of inference on there's a an elite group or there's at least a smaller group that understands something. If we don't even want to use the word elite. And deception is going on, and only the true are really going to hold on to something. And what's funny is there's not a single one of, of there's not a single Adventist that goes, "Yeah, I'm deceived, and I'm happy about it." Right? Like no one is proud to claim that they're a part of the deceived, unless the only time I see this is when someone is being called someone who's like, if someone is accused of being deceived, and just to tick off the other person, they go, "Yeah, I'm deceived. I love it." Right? Like they they'll just claim it just to spite. Yeah, but you're do, you're doing that intentionally, exactly trolling i yeah, mean nobody no one, yeah. and here and here of course and here's the nature if you're deceived will you know correct it? and but but that's like my point being no one uh no one wants to say that they're no one wants to admit they're dumb or think they're dumb i just read a study that a good that a mutual friend of ours posted the other day or an article about uh, a study uh which talked about the i think it's 65 percent of americans think they are smarter than the average person um and like yeah i don't I guess there is 35% of people that don't think they're smarter than the that that feel like they're not as smart as the average person. Um, but in general, like no one wants to be in that camp and no one really yeah. willingly walks into that camp. And it's likely, I bet you that the 35% that don't uh, feel like they're smarter than the average person are either a actually smarter than the average person. So they've got a little bit of that imposter syndrome going on or B they've been told that by other people. And it's a narrative that they've bought into. I'm going to say there, there's a, there's a not, I want to be careful how I word this. I want, not normal almost sounds bad, but there, there is, 
Maybe I should say a wounded psyche behind that self-evaluation. Now, it could be, there yeah. could be true humility. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, we all should, but it doesn't surprise me that the majority of people do. No one wants to be in the camp that thinks uh, that, that would admit that their intelligence is not uh, on par with everyone else or better than everyone else or, you know, a, a lot of people. So the, yeah. So it, so when this happens, it, it makes you feel stupid. Um, it makes you feel, um, and what, it, what honestly, what this, what's funny about this one is this one, when your when your intelligence feels like it's being rejected, typically you end up rejecting in response the other person's intelligence, right? That's typically like, yeah. you're the one that's not considering well, this enough. Yeah. It's kind of the ad hominem argument takes over when you're wounded. Like people where you're like, you, you catch them in something and you have all the facts with them. They're like, yeah, but you're ugly. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. You know, we, we turn it into something that has nothing to do with the topic. It's like, well, whether I'm ugly or not, what does that have to do with the fact that you think gravity doesn't exist? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. you have no evidence. And so they're like, it's kind of like, well, fine. You reject my intelligence. Well, you're too stupid to know that mm -hmm. I'm not dumb. Yes. You know. It, yep. Um, and then, um, Henry, take us through the last one. Well, the last one kind of, again, all these are doing a good job. Our explanations are helping segue into the others. Because they, they overlap a lot. A lot of this deals with also, we were talking about the idea of being deceived. Many faith systems state that the eternal destiny of a person is directly affected by their relationship to a particular belief or set of such. Uh, that's just, especially in Christianity, there just has to be this tendency. Whether that's right or wrong, we're just saying most communities have some idea that uh, let's take a simple one. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him and be baptized for the remission of sins, you go into hell, you know, kind of thing. And and that and that's my point. There's a lot of people that have a belief that if you do not accept a certain understanding of something or doctrine or whatever, then your your salvation is at risk. So basically, when you go to share whatever this exciting thing is, I found Jesus or I, uh, you know, now know this amazing thing about Jesus or, or whatever not, and you share that and someone's just kind of like, eh, you know, they're not really embracing or they just don't care. Sometimes that can feel like a rejection of their own salvation, right? And if you care about somebody, I would hope you wouldn't want them to just like, you know, be toast. Yeah. So, so that, that adds another complex emotional layer to when you're sharing your faith, because if someone then has confrontation there's some sort of conflict or resistance you also might be more willing to get into confrontation than you normally would on say a sports team or something else because you're terrified that their rejection of it at that time means you've lost them forever mm. yep well and I, I i will say this about all four of these things the one kind of umbrella one i would put over these um and the, you know the the common thread throughout all of these is at the end of the day uh, rejecting any one of these to someone who's had the experience, um, they end up feeling like they themselves as a human being or as a person has been rejected. All of these lead yeah. to that one kind of common thread. You've, you believe that I'm not saved. Um, you believe that I am not smart. You believe that, um, you believe that I'm not worth your time or you believe that, that my experience, you're, you're, you, or you, uh, believe that my experience wasn't real and you're outright dismissing it. All of that feels to many people like they're, uh, they as a person are being rejected and it's, or that they failed God. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
Because if I had done it right, this person would be saved or this person would have been excited. Yeah. Or what, and it doesn't matter how many times somebody that's trying to teach you how to, quote, share your faith is like, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. Well, yeah, but you're the one feeling it yeah. at that moment. And you're just like, well, and a lot of us have ideas that God somehow is unfeeling, even no whatever you're taught, the back of your mind, your yep. gut is like, well, it doesn't affect him. But I'm in trouble. Yeah, and I, and I think what we're hoping to do with this is, so we've got those four main types of confrontation and the resulting, uh, you know, the resulting rejections that usually come, that, that can come from them. And so what I think we're hoping to do is talk about ways that we can minimize those rejections. We can't ever get rid of them outright. Um, like I said, this isn't, at the beginning, this isn't something that all of us have full independent or individual control over. You cannot control the reaction of someone else. Um, I talk to creators about this all the time, and I say, like, you have the right to create and to publish, but you do not have the right to determine if someone else accepts what you've done, right? You have the right to... Cre- yeah, that's the risk and creativity exactly. is that you put, you, you're putting yourself out there, yep. especially in the public sphere, to be judged quite harshly. Yeah, you have the right to create. You do not have the right to determine how that creation is received. Um, and in the same way, it very much is you have the right to share your experience, but you cannot control what how that experience will always be received. There are things to influence how it's received. That you can control. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And that's what I'm hoping, I think that's where we're going to be sitting is, how do, I, how do I do this in a way that, that minimizes those? How do I share what I'm excited about? Because I believe that what I've experienced is good news. I want my friends, my family, my church to embrace this, uh, to enjoy this, to experience the same joy that I've experienced. It's, it's kind of like when you see a, um, you know, if you've, if you've grown up in a youth group, you've heard this. It's kind of like talking about your favorite movie. You're just talking about Jesus. Like you're talking about your favorite movie. Um, that's all you're doing with your, uh, I, yeah, I know. Um, but you want, you want to share something you're, you're excited about. So, uh, how do we do that responsibly? And right. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, this idea of control what you can and stop trying to control what you can't, a lot of the problems in conflict with enthusiasm, I think come because our desire to either defend ourselves or to make the decision for somebody else that you can't make for them leads to combative sharing, which not only exhausts us, but destroys said enthusiasm. And like you said, makes us feel like failures and might even regress the reconstructive journey to begin yep. with. Absolutely. So, um, but then what happens when we're rejected is that many of us will then jump to you know, defend ourselves or defend someone else who's had the same experience as us that is now sharing it. Um, and so we then fight back and we bite back and we, we turn what was a time of sharing into now a time of argument. That's what it turns into. Sometimes that's turned into by us. Sometimes that's turned into by the person that we've, that we've shared with, right? The, the receiver. Yes. Um, and arguments never change minds. No, they, I mean, they just don't. And, Facebook hasn't figured that out yet, but it doesn't change much. Well, uh, hmm, I'm going to challenge that, but not in not in the way that says like I'm encouraging you to get in frivolous Facebook arguments. I don't think, and I have I have proof of this because I've watched this happen. Um, I I don't ever think I've only ever in the t- over a decade that I've been twelve years I've been on Facebook I've only ever changed one person's mind in a Facebook argument Facebook debate. That's how rare that is, right? And I used to get into a lot of them. However, 
I cannot count the number of times that someone's opinion has been influenced or changed by something that has been shared in a comment section um, that wasn't an actual participant in that comment section. In other words, the neutral, the observer, the neutral party that isn't that doesn't have a personal stake or ego in the yeah. game, they're it, the ones whose minds can be influenced or changed by the way that you interact in comments. That's true. That's that's me making my own factual argument for me. I should have remembered that fact. You should say it's nearly always the case. <laughs> right. It's it's definitely the, don't yeah. say it's always the case. It's definitely yeah. not worth your time ninety nine percent of the time. But um Yes, I would. I tend to agree with you in that 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 social media arguments really don't change minds that often. Yeah. So how does one then share their faith responsibly? Um, first of all, uh, um, I I want to take a lesson from all of the people that Jesus told, "Don't tell anyone that you have done this." Right. All the people that, that Jesus goes, tell no one of what you've seen or no one of what you've experienced here. And then like the next day, they're like, everyone, guess what I have seen there or experienced there? Uh, guess what? Yeah, none of them no, ever listened. None of them ever listened. Um, and and my personal theory on this uh, is my, you know, it, it is speculation. There's no like Bible verse that says they didn't. What, But basically was that a lot of these people got so caught up in the moment of what had happened to them, which fair a lot of them were set free of some from some very very dark uh and very painful experiences right and, and um but they had never taken any time to actually process what happened and so they were simply uh they were sharing out of the emotional response without having taken any time to really think about and um and level out from that experience. So they were still on that spiritual high and they wanted they wanted to share that that with everyone else um, but they never, they never, they never leveled out. They never plateaued out from that. And so um, they're still operating on that, that peak. And I think that, I think that is number one in, in how do we share faith responsibly? Well, the first thing we need to do is process the experience that we've had. Um, mm. I, I, I do think we need to sit down before we even talk about sharing that experience we need to sit down and actually process it and and this is even harder now since we're already talking about social media um because social media the access the ease of access to it i think has flipped the way that society well western culture specifically uh processes information because it used to be before you could go share it online or, or you know pull out your phone and share it immediately that you would have to you know you'd get home from school something would happen you'd have to talk with your parents about it or talk with your friends about it over drinks that night if if you're someone who does that or you know you would share with community first and with those closest to you you would think out loud with them you would share experiences whatever then by the time you got to the internet you will have processed it heard other ideas thought about it and there's a bit of a filter Correct. that's been applied. Um, you aren't, you're, you're, but now that process is reversed and our reaction takes place online. Um, and then uh, later on, we, and, and, and so that happens in real time in public and in the public eye. And that's made this harder. But I do think before we, before we say anything, we need to sit with what's happened, good or bad, hopefully good, um, and really think about it, pray about it, process it. Um, consider the ramifications of it and really understand and seek to understand what's happened to us. I think that is the, I think that's the first step uh, of. And it will prevent a lot of unnecessary 
are unintentional consequences. I think going back to that illustration, when I read the Gospels, one of the main reasons, again, and there's no specific verse that says this is why, but one of the main reasons I've often thought Jesus told them to not share, because it always seemed cruel. It's like, what, you just did this thing, you just healed him, and you couldn't walk for 30 years. Why are you saying don't do this? Is a lot of times it had nothing to do with them as much as it had to do with the environment in which the miracle took place. Yep. In other words, Jesus is like, well, if you go spreading that now, I, it will prevent me from doing any other work in this particular environment because the scribes and Pharisees and everybody are all going to jump on this thing and they're going to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and I'm going to have to withdraw. Mm-hmm. You know, or there's going to be some big war yeah. and, and I can't do that right now. And I think we'll get into that a little in a moment that as we've often experienced when our enthusiasm doesn't work so great, it creates a lot of conflict we wish wasn't there. Or if there'd been some other way to do it, we might've minimized, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of that was not that God didn't want these people to share. And in fact, a, a good illustration, I think to that point to kind of balance this out is if you remember and it depends on which account you're reading, whether there's two demoniacs or one, but I'm just going to focus on at least the one that I, I think both stories are the same. It's just that one was more prominent than the other or had more of this experience. And that's why, for example, John just focuses on one versus um, the other mm-hmm. or versus Mark or whatever. But anyway, uh, my point is, is they come to this demoniac and God doesn't let him go with him. And he has to leave, and he's having to leave because all this conflict, because all these people are ticked off that all their swine just drowned in the healing of this guy. And Jesus has to withdraw because of all the chaos that's going on, but it says that he comes back at a later date, and there's a whole bunch of people that believe on him thanks to the testimony of this guy that stayed behind and was sharing his faith over who knows how, maybe a year. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been too long in the, in the time frame of this, but who, who stayed behind, God had to withdraw, and then he had to come back later and deal with it. So. You know, there there is a, a timing and a sequence and, and lengths of time that had to take place for this share. Yeah, absolutely. So um, now let's consider. I, I I I think we've 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 hit that one pretty well. So I think uh, let's talk about now. Like as we start to consider other people and bringing other people into this mix, um, what are those? What are the the first steps? Um, and yeah. Well, first you have to recognize this. At least how I understand it, there's there's at least two different categories of people in my mind that you will interact with when sharing faith that are going to demand different approaches. All right, it's not, it's not a blanket one meets all kind of thing. And the first is what I like to call periphery people. And what I mean by that is people that you're just meeting or you interact with casually in life, you know, your barista at Starbucks or something. I mean, I don't know, maybe you talk to them a whole lot and you have a more serious conversation. But I, I think what I'm trying to mean by this is it's people you'll just run into or people you don't have really invested deep relationships with that you're not, you're not gonna, you've not had a lot of time with these people, and you're not gonna have a lot of time with these people in the future. This is more like, as they say, the elevator moment. You're on an elevator, and you got 30 seconds. What are you gonna, whatever? Which, by the way, we'll get into that. But don't think you get on the elevator. I got 30 seconds. It's time to now. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, so casual kind of meetings is, is where I'd like to start. And when it comes to that, I, again, and a lot of these are overlapping principles, but I would say, remember that when you're running into these people and you want to share faith, hopefully there's a nice segue to do so. And you don't just walk up to somebody, you know, they're like, hello, can I take your order? I accepted the Lord Jesus. Will you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, also be smart. I think, I think that we're sharing these principles with the idea that hopefully you're 
you're thinking before you do any of this. Just, it, you know, if it's natural in the conversation or it comes up, now you can start sharing, but don't just go like running around like, who's the next victim I can get, mm-hmm. you know? Hey, you over there with a the dog. Is that a, is that a golden retriever? Yeah. Excellent. Have I told you about the Lord <laughs> Jesus? He, he is a he is a golden retriever of souls. He is he saves oh, them. Um, yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I, I I would agree with that. Is you're not just looking for your next uh, next uh, target to share with. Yeah. This this isn't a military operation. So that being said, you want to share with gentleness and respect anything that you say. I would hope you do that in general, but especially when it comes to faith. Gentleness and respect, because you don't know details about these people's beliefs or experiences, and you want to minimize feelings of judgment. Now, notice I said minimize feelings. You can't prevent Mm -hmm. them. I I think there comes a certain point when you believe anything different than somebody else, or just the very nature of sharing is obviously you're coming at it from a position, this is something, you've already made a judgment in the sharing and that this is something worth you knowing and accepting. Yep. And by that very nature, even though we're just going to assume your heart is pure and you don't mean to make any statement. Just the very nature of how it comes across is this is great and you need it. The implication being you don't have it and you don't even have to say anything. We're coming at this from hopefully someone that isn't looking at someone like, yeah, and why are you drinking that and wearing that? And if you're not doing one of those like time to go clean the fish kind of whatever phrase you want to use person, it doesn't matter how gentle and kind you're going to be. It's going to, you don't know what goes through people's head about when you start sharing that, what they then assume you might be meaning is wrong in their life or isn't great or what they think you may think about them as to why you think you need to share yep. this. That there, this is, this kind of goes back to what you said, the things you can't control. Mm-hmm. You can minimize, but you can't, you cannot control yep. what somebody's reaction in their brain is yep. to what you're saying. Well, and I love, you just can minimize. And I love that you say minimize feelings of judgment, not, not outright get, remove them because at the end of the day, you believing that they need to hear your experience is you to some degree rejecting theirs, right? It's saying the, or at least it is a judgment of your experience isn't good enough yet. It is some level of, yeah. Or it's, it, it needs to correct. move on. It is your, yeah, it was, it was good, but you can't correct. stay there. And that can be really harmful if, if done incorrectly, that can be really harmful to someone else, especially someone who might be fragile in their experience, who might still be processing their own, or whose experience might be fresh itself, right? Um, if they've had a new experience of their own, then you now become the person that rejects someone else's personal experience um, that we talked about above. So I do love this, min- like, accept that what you're doing is inherently telling someone else that they might be wrong. Yeah. And that demands sensitivity to some degree. Yes. It it not only demands sensitivity, but then it moves into the next step. It demands, and this is part of why you said you need to have thought this out first, you know, and have some sort of self-reflection. It demands being concise and prioritizing what you share. Mm -hmm. In, In other words, think of it as, quote, seed planting, Since a lot of your interactions with people on the periphery are probably, not always, but probably going to be one and done events, right? You get, you get quote, one go at it. And so the thing is, I always have to say, and this is what we were going earlier, resist the urge to data dump. Mm. Okay. I cannot stress this enough because this is, this is actually one of the main areas where I think people go wrong with their enthusiasm 
is that enthusiasm tends to mean, you know, the kind of old joke, they won't shut up about it. Well, if you're not shutting up about it, you have a lot of real estate to fill with verbiage. And that usually means you do the data dump. You give them everything you now know or everything you think they should know all at once. All right. You you back the spiritual truck up and go and just pull the lever and it buries them. Right. And the and the point is, and I think you brought this up, and I'd love for you to kind of go on this further, probably from what from what you've seen, but I think you put this phrase when we were talking about this in the notes. You don't get from A to Z in five minutes. Mm. You have to go from A to B first. This one is huge because, okay, I will say the number one place I see this happen is in issues of uh, social justice and racial and dealing with racial racial justice and and, um, injustices in general, right? When I see this happen a lot with, particularly with white people when they finally understand uh, the ideas of white supremacy and privilege or any, you know, any of those. Um, but in general, once you've had the gotcha moment, uh, there tends to be this desire to fast forward other people to that gotcha moment. Uh, but the reality is it took you potentially years to get to the point where you were ready to accept that gotcha moment. And what may have actually been a, a huge moment of epiphany for someone else, you may have stolen that up from under them because you've tried to rush them to something without them having the opportunity to be exposed to a little of something here, a little of something there, or be exposed to this in a way like all the necessary foundational experiences and beliefs that require them to get to the point where they're ready to jump to Z. Um yeah, I was, you've got to be careful. This was going to come up too, but I think this is a great time to put this in now. Uh, you got to remember the deconstructive journey is painful and disorienting to yes, start with. exactly. Right, and you have to go through that before you can reconstruct, which means you don't want to force someone to try and incorporate your reconstructive advice at the same time that they're overloaded with the pain of your forcing a deconstructive yep. event. Yep. And which, that was a lot of verbiage. Another way to say it is this. People are not inclined to embrace the thing causing them pain for assistance in feeling better. That should be like, duh. So if your idea of witnessing is I have to force the deconstructive event, then you've already shot yourself in the foot because if you're the one now challenging every little thing I believed and you're trying to challenge, I I see a lot of, picking on our own faith community here as much as I love it, I see a lot of Adventists do this at funerals. I think every denomination does this at funerals. Well, well, yeah, but I, that's true. But in a, the specific way I'm thinking is that Seventh-day Adventists have a a not necessarily, I don't want to say not mainline, it's just not common understanding of what we would call something like state of the dead or the nature of what happens to someone Correct. when they die. Okay, and a very common evangelical belief, and I'm not trying to make a judgment on this at all, it's just the common belief is, is that when someone dies, their soul is immediately going somewhere, right? There's not a cessation of of consciousness in that sense. You're either in heaven, you're in hell, whatever you want to call it. Somebody's going somewhere, okay? Seventh-day Adventists tend to have a different view of that. If you want to know more about that, you can talk to us later. That's outside the scope of this. But basically, they tend to believe that one is asleep in the grave until the resurrection when then the the judgments, quote, are given out and you go somewhere, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And so I see a lot of Adventists do this at funerals where they will see somebody who has a belief like, well, grandma's in a better place now, or my child's in a better place. You know, I I grew up hearing that all the time. They're in heaven now looking down and they're so much happier. Okay. 
And that brings a lot of comfort to people. And I'm not wanting to pick on that at all. I get it. You know, it's like, yay, they're in a better place. And I see people say that. And then Adventists that have gone through a reconstructive journey where they're Adventists now or think this is a great comfort, I, I, I tend to think the way we understand it can be just as comforting, if not more so. But again, that's just me personally. But somebody that has that personal belief then hears someone that says, oh, they're in a better place now. And they were run up to them and they're like, no, they're in the grave as worm food. You know, and and I know I'm being, they don't say it exactly like that, but that's basically yeah. how it's going to come across to somebody because they're in a traumatic event and you try and force a deconstructive, yeah, that thing you believed your whole life and that you're trying to use now as comfort, that your grandma or mom or whoever is in heaven, they're not, they're being eaten yeah. by worms. Yeah. And then they wonder why people almost never, I'm going to preface it again, almost never accept yeah. that knowledge or information yep. from them ever because you're forcing a deconstructive event which may or not may or may not take place at best occurrence it takes mm -hmm. place, but then they're going to associate you with the deconstruction. Well, and, they are not coming to you for reconstruction. Well, and, and in many cases, the the kind of simple way that I would put this is like if you're still paying off a car, you wouldn't want someone else to tell you to come get a new car, get a new loan for a new car while you're still paying off the old one, um, and still in that debt. Now I don't want to. You know, necessarily every analogy falls for it somewhere, and I don't want to say like, a, you know, your new car is this big burden, or like re reconstruction is some giant burden to you. But it, it's very much like I still have to get through this thing that I'm experiencing now. Don't force something else on me. It might be too much. That's the idea. Um, and you can ruin, and someone's entire idea of faith and their their journey can be ruined by that too. So I, you know, there you you do have to be sensitive and allow other people to have their own journeys. And I think the the big key there is remember your own journey, remember the time that it took you to get there, and remember all the little things. And this is one of the things you can do while processing is to start thinking about all the different things that started to soften your heart to the thing that you now believe. And I I want to be clear extra clear here that does not mean you need to go recreate those exact steps for someone else that my friends is called manipulation um it does not mean that you are now suddenly responsible and have to make sure that they go through the exact steps you did or you need to fast forward them through those steps it just means that you are using your your own conversion experience in that timeline to keep your experience in perspective as you talk with someone else and remember that there's more than just that moment Yes, and speaking of more than just that moment, that leads us into our second broad category of people you'll run into with sharing enthusiasm, and that's your family and friends, right? These are established relationships in which we assume you have some sort of significant investment in, right? So I'll say they're often close relationships. I say often because we want to recognize that there are some family situations that are less ideal mm -hmm. uh, than others. But just going off a of basic assumption, just remember, if these are close relationships or you're going to see these people often or have and will continue to do so, you can afford to go slower, right? Because you're going to have many continued interactions with them, hopefully. Yep. Right? And so when that comes to place, if you know you're going to have to see them a lot or you're going to have lots of interactions, this brings up another couple points that, again, there's a lot of overlap in all of this, but a, a, a couple I'd like to keep in mind with this. One, resist the urge to argue. Mm. Okay, this is a good period, but especially with family and close friends, resist the urge to argue, okay? Because usually if they're closer to you, they're going to feel more free than instead of just cutting you off to raise objections. And if they do that, you don't want to argue back, 
right? They'll be like, yeah, but that's dumb. Have you ever considered, don't be like, well, you just don't understand. You don't, don't immediately go there. I like to always say a, an easy thing, an example I keep in my mind when someone raises an objection that's close to me on something is I'll go, huh, I'll think about that. Yeah. Right now, I mean, hopefully you're not lying about that. I would say if you have thought, all, well, but, and the other half of it is you're not lying and you have already thought about it and now you're just trying to be patient. There's a respectful way to move forward and saying like, you know, you're right. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, I actually did look into that because I thought about that too. Um, and here's what I came up with. What do you think about it? Right? Like there, there's a way to make that a right, dialogue. Yes, you want because what you want to do is you want to show, hopefully, and again, this isn't hopefully a show that you're putting on. We're hoping this is sincere, but you want to show that they re, you respect what they're saying. Yep. Okay, so like you said, you can clearly and gently explain why you don't agree with them on something, but you always want to, at the same time, I always like to say stress, you want to find any way possible to tell them you appreciate them caring for you and looking out for your mm. interests. Even if you think they're not, do it. And this is a biblical principle, by the way, esteem others better than yourselves. In other words, your life's going to get a whole lot easier. And I say this as someone who sometimes has been an eternal pessimist. You have to assume the best about people. Even if you disagree with them, try and at least view it as, well, they're disagreeing because they care about me, not they're doing this because they want to destroy my life. Because if you honestly think they're out to destroy your life, I don't know how you're going to get through any disagreement ever. Yeah. Or, or function with them, period. But so that's my thing. If they're raising objections, instead of taking it immediately personally, even though we, we recognize you have feelings and it will hurt and we're not trying to gaslight you on that, like we said at the beginning. But, you know, help them know when you're disagreeing, hey, but I still appreciate that the reason you're sharing this or you were wanting to, you're pushing back is because you yep. care. Right? Stress that you recognize their care, that's gonna it's gonna really help a lot. Because, and this is the flip side, remember how we said part of when people resist your enthusiasm, you view it as a rejection of yourself or like fellowship. Well, the same thing can happen in reverse while you're defending yourself. You want to demonstrate that you're not abandoning mm -hmm. them, right? And that your faith is thought out and not a passing fad. Because a lot of times, I think one reason people are resistant, I'll speak about my own family because not all of my family is in the same denominational community still is I remember some big things with my, within my own family was when I made certain decisions about what faith community I was, I now find myself in and whatnot. They almost thought that me accepting this had less to do with God than rejecting them. Mm. Right. Because, well, this faith was good enough for our family for a hundred years. Why, why all of a sudden do you think you're so much better than us? Or, and you know what I'm saying, there's a lot of people that I think they struggle, they might believe something, but one of the biggest things that holds them back from acting on it is they're terrified of losing community. Because people will view it as a rejection of the relationship that you're embracing something instead of a furthering of your own journey. Yep. And, and you have to be careful with that. They go, well, if you believe all this, I mean, let's take, for example, pick on our own community again. Let's say you've gone to church your entire life on a Sunday. Now you show up at home and say, I'm convinced that Saturday is the day we should worship, and I'm going to go to church there. Well, if the church you and community you were at does anything on Sunday, and now you're going to go on Saturday, are you going to see any of them yeah. anymore? Uh, I, like, you know, and even if you're going to find ways to do that, I'm just saying, can you imagine what the first thought that would go through someone's mind when you're sharing this is, does that mean you're mm -hmm. out? Does that mean I ain't going to see you again? You know, are, are we burnt toast to you? Yeah. 
right? Just just make sure however we do this, you want to demonstrate to people you're not throwing them by the wayside, even if you're letting go on something you used to share in common with them in the past. Well, and this is, this is what you just touched on is huge, right? Um, remember that there is a cost. Uh, in economics, I, I, I think we call it an opportunity cost, right? By when you choose to do something, you're choosing not to do something else. You're giving up an opportunity to do something different with the money that you invest in a different direction or save or budget somewhere else, right? Um, but with every conversion, with every shift in ideals or belief system or value, uh, there is a cost. And that cost may be different for for you know different people. So when you are asking someone to embrace your idea, your belief, your new experience, you might be asking them to um, to give up something else. And one of the things that I uh, I've, I've mentioned this in prior episodes as well is that people are most likely uh, you are you are less likely to change someone's mind unless you can show them that there is a new community that is willing to embrace them. Because many people still mm-hmm. hold on to their old ideas simply because that is where they're, they're, they don't want to lose the community that they have around those ideas. Um, surprisingly yeah. enough, um, that's actually how places like ISIS do a lot of their recruiting or things like ISIS do a lot of their recruiting. Go listen to Caliphate, um, the Caliphate podcast, episode two, and you'll he- you'll watch this happen uh, in online message boards as these as, as ISIS uh, agents will work to make sure that commenters and people in these message boards and forums, these uh, that are Muslims that are feeling alone or whatever, feel loved and accepted and valued first, and then they they then they kind of bait and switch them slowly into this into this terrible thing. We are not doing that because what we're not doing what we're doing is not terrible, right? Um, the that's that would be the, the the major difference is that we're not ISIS, but uh, very much your your. Um, <laughs> You're asking them to give up something. You're asking them to spend something. Um, And you can't, you have to acknowledge that that cost is going to be different for everyone else. Um, So yeah, that's, that is, yeah, I, um, I think the, I think the best place to land here too is, is then, um, you know, one kind of overarching thing throughout all of this that I think both of us would, would emphasize, um, and Henry, you typed this, so I want you to be the one to say it with the emphasis that you want to put Aww. on it. Yeah, since I typed it in all caps in our notes. <laughs> if you don't remember anything else about sharing, remember this. Actions speak louder than words. And I said that somewhat agitatedly because people seem to not remember this. <laughs> no matter what you say, if you are argumentative or unloving, people will not hear a word that mm-hmm. you said. Okay. Let people see your life being positively impacted by your new faith, because after all, if it isn't changing you for the better, why would they even want to bother with it? This is a big soapbox for me when I talk to churches, and and everyone you know talks about, oh, it doesn't make sense, you know, and they're complaining that people aren't joining or converting or whatever. And I'll tell people, isn't it crazy that? You know, 11 guys turned the world upside down in a generation. And the Christian church between Protestant and Catholic has something like almost, you know, 2 billion adherents. And the gospel is moving slower than a herd of turtles in a field of peanut butter. And I said, the reason why is because is your is the faith doing anything for you? Mm. Right? I mean, you know, if it's not impacting you, why would someone else waste their time with it? Yep. You know, if they're if you're like... 
I found this new faith or I've learned this new thing or Jesus is awesome. And they realize you now even you're just as mean as you were before. You're just as selfish as you were before and everything's about you. And they're just some item to now appease you in feeling like you appeased the gods or whatever. Then why are they going to want to bother with it? Right. If, if something isn't relevant to you, it's not going to be relevant to somebody else. Mm. Right. It, it, it kind of reminds me uh, somewhat incidental story, but as the saying goes, I love this story when, when I think about preaching and stuff, but it could be the same about preaching in the sense of sharing. They say that back in the 1800s, the Archbishop of Canterbury, which is the, the head of the Anglican communion, was at a dinner that was being held by, you know, the crown, and not the Netflix series, but the actual King and Queen of England, and the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, excuse me. <laughs> anyway... And he was there, and supposedly he was seated next to one of the famous thespians of London at the time that was like really popular on uh, on their version of Broadway kind of thing. You know, that's a typical American response to think everything is like something we did later. You know, we did it better and you're copying us, even though you did it 300 years before. Anyway, so he was there and he said, can I ask you a question? This was the Archbishop. And he goes, well, absolutely, Your Grace. And he goes, I'm just curious, how do you keep people so enthralled? Like, how do you fill the theater night after night after night after night when you're sharing the exact same play and you're doing the exact same thing and people love it? And he goes, in the churches, we can't get anybody to stay. Like, they're mostly empty. We, we can't get people in. What Do you have any tips you could share? And the thespian turned to him and said, well, Your Grace, I'll be honest. It seems quite obvious to me. And he goes, well, what? He goes, I speak of things that don't exist as if they're real, and you speak of things that are real as if they don't exist. Hmm. And, and that's always stuck with me. In other words, he's like, if it, has, if it doesn't mean anything to you, why should it mean something yep. to someone else? Right? And a lot of faith, I always say, if it's just a life insurance policy for you, we're kind of getting into more theology, but if your faith is just life insurance policy... Or it's just something you tack on to a whole bunch of other things in your life because mm -hmm. you think it's going to gain you something or whatever. Well, other people might have a better life insurance policy in their mm -hmm. mind. They, you know, they might not have enough room to throw in all these additional things or whatever in it. If it, if it, if it's not really truly transformative for you, they're not going to really go through the risk and the struggle and the exhaustiveness of having their whole life turn upside down or right side up or whatever to get there. If they don't think that the payoff's going to be worth it, because we all instinctively, Christian or not, we theology aside, evolutionary theory even says this too. We we we're all self-centered. We're all asking, what's the benefit for me? Not that you can't move beyond selfish motives, but the point is everyone is just naturally saying, What's in this for mm -hmm. me? And if they don't see any product worth buying, then they ain't gonna well, bite. No one just goes into the store and just spends their money well, for no I, reason. I would I would add this you know, this would be, I think, my my final contribution here too. Is is it's a very uh, popular saying among pastors, uh, which is, um, and I don't know what other circles, but, um, and I don't remember where this quote comes from. Someone can Google it, but it's simply this: People may not remember the words that you said, but they will remember the way you made them feel, and that's going yeah. to be everything. Um, it is likely that they'll never be able to reproduce the conversation that you guys had. But let's assume, just for argument's sake, let's assume that you've been, you know, you said something, you tried to convince them of something, and it didn't go well, you made them feel terrible, you made them feel bad, or you were just a poor representative for whatever reason, right, uh, of whatever your belief system was. 
Later on, they encounter someone else who then has the same conversation differently. There's now going to be a roadblock or an obstacle for them basically to say like, I don't, I don't like how this made me feel before. I don't want to listen to this or I don't like how um, someone else, like I don't want to be associated with the kind of person that shared this with me before or I don't want like there, there's going to be a huge emotional block because of how you made them feel. This is why we're going to come full circle here as I wrap my, my own thoughts here up. This is why for me, when someone comes to me talking about veganism or essential oils, I immediately get angry. I've grown up with asthma my entire life. I couldn't breathe through my nose until I was like 18. If you thought the dentist was hell for people, for like normal people, imagine not being able to breathe the entire time because the only option you have is to breathe through your mouth, which is, you know, currently filled with tools. Um, the number of times that some self-proclaimed health expert or alternative health medicine person or some random kid's parent uh, some random friend's parent or whatever, teacher, pastor, you name it, tried to convince me that doing this with essential oils or doing this specific diet um, was going to just cure my asthma magically. The number of, you know, the amount of money that my my parents wasted just trying desperately to make any of those things work so that I wouldn't have to suffer as much anymore. Um, none of them ever worked. And all I remember is the disgusting food that I had as a kid, because the vegan options were not as good as they are now. Um, I remember the way that I was made to feel, uh, which was that my asthma was my fault or my family's fault. Um, I remember all of that. And it, it's disgusting to me. Like, that's why I get so angry about that stuff. I watched all of this money be spent. I watched all of this, um, all these changes try to be made for, for what? For nothing. And it just left me with this sense of hopelessness regarding my own health. And no, just so we're clear, this is not at all me inviting anyone to send me an email or a direct message on Twitter to share with me about how they're so sorry for that experience, but here's the real truth. This is not that invitation. Please don't know. <laughs> but I wanted to give something real to tie that together because the way that you make someone feel is as much is as powerful if not more powerful an argument than the logic you use to convince them and that has everything yeah. to do with how you treat them and that is once again that your actions will speak louder than your words so henry yeah. any anything you want to leave with as we tie this off my my last thought would be if you've been listening to this and you realize that you are the one that tried to give him vegan food that tasted like the backside of a cardboard box, or you were really mean to somebody, or whatever. It doesn't have to be Ryan specifically. It could be anyone else. If you look back and go, ooh, I didn't share my enthusiasm that great, or I might have hurt people or whatever, and you feel like you're a loser and somehow you've let down God or their salvation is at risk because you did it wrong or, or whatever, we're, we're hoping that you don't leave this conversation thinking you're toast. That wasn't the point of this at all. We're hoping you realize that, A, the God of Scripture is bigger than mm -hmm. your mistakes. Bigger than ours. Ryan and I didn't even spend time talking about all the times we irresponsibly shared stuff. I mean, it happens to everyone. The, the thing is, it's not a waste if you then take those experiences and learn from them. This is the amazing redemptive ability of the human when combined with the divine. Right? Not that we're many gods. I don't mean it like that in like a Zen-like thing. But what, I, what I'm trying to mean is, 
right? Learn from it. You can make a choice. No one can ever change that and go, hey, you know, God can go fix your mistakes. God can go send other people into people's lives to fix that. Or it might be, you know, there might be a point where you realize you've hurt people that way and you might need to go ask for some forgiveness. You might need to go apologize for it. That, again, action speaking louder than words, that might shock mm-hmm. them more. Like, wait, what? They might have even forgotten about it. And you go back, you know, a couple weeks ago or last year when I tried to share all that, I'm sorry, I was a jerk. And they'll be like, wait, what? You know, that that might be, a, not, I'm not guaranteeing that, but that might be a door that reopens it for you to try again. You, you, you don't know how God will work in that situation, but I'm just saying... If you learn from it, it's not the end of the world. That's actually a good thing. And I would much rather take someone that's failed a few times in life's arena, gotten back up, learned the lesson, and moved forward powerfully with God than someone who's just like, ah, screwed up. It's not worth it. And yep. They give up. Absolutely. Right? So share it responsibly. We hope that this will help you regain your enthusiasm and will help you go out there and just make a positive difference in people's lives. Just enjoy sharing what matters to you with others and you know we're, we're excited to see you continue on that journey 